Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, we have a special guest, but is he really that special when he's making his not first, not second, but third appearance on the podcast tonight? I'm I'm going to call him special every time, and not that kind of special, just the, the excellent kind of special. So, yeah, uh, longtime friend of the program. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus is back with us. Brad, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on for a third time. I'm, I'm going for the record for appearances on Bears Over Beers. And, and is it because I want to drink beer? I don't know. Maybe just talk football. You know, best of both worlds. That's kind of why we launched the show is a little bit of both. Everybody likes doing them together. So we're, we're happy that you like doing both. But Brad is going to help us out a little bit with some potential candidates for GM in Chicago should Ryan Pace move on. But before we start that up, there's a tradition here on Bears Over Beers. What'd you bring, Brad? Yeah, so I brought, it's called Green Room. Sorry for the sound. That Ooh, was me wow. opening it. No, he, he got uh, right into it. Grab the, yeah, grab the yeah. open. So it's called Green Room. And I mentioned before the show, it's from Barrier Brewing, um, which I've been in New York for about two years now. I, I would say it's my favorite brewery that I've had probably five or six different beers from now. Um, I actually have not had the green room, so uh, let's see how it is. Cheers. Good deal. I'm I'm an imposter tonight. I'm JB. Um, I'm incognito. Uh, I found this a couple of weeks ago. This is from a local brewery, Narrows Brewing, um, right over in Gig Harbor. And uh, I, I've been trying some JB beers, and this is definitely one of them. Uh, this is peanut butter cookie blonde ale. Oh, where do I sign up? I, you know, this is such a JB beer, but I'm excited. It's 16 ounces, obviously very low IBUs for those of you playing along at home. And uh, it is 5.2 by volume. So very drinkable. We shouldn't get too many hot takes by the end of the show. Uh, JB, what do you got? All right. So I've got uh, a pretty intense beer here. This is Old Boys Barrel Age Series, and it is chocolate malty balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh so this is this is from uh tighthead brewing company so they had the uh the patrick manley beer uh the long snapper ipa so this is uh barrel aged it's 11 percent, and it is a full pint so um you know we just got through a severe thunderstorm here in iowa uh for those of you that are in illinois you'll be well you'll be through it by the time that you hear this but Good luck to everyone through that crazy storm, 80 mile an hour per winds. So I figured why not bring on a strong beer? Cause I feel like I deserve it. I think you do as well. And uh, we're glad that you're through the leading edge of that. Um, this honestly tastes like a cookie in a can. I'm a bit shocked at how spot on the flavor profile is. So. I mean, that sounds amazing. What more do you want? Right. You want, you want a beer, you want a little alcohol, you want a cookie. We just put them all in one thing. Yeah, it's like beer and donuts, right? They, they go together. All right. So we know that the Bears are talking about potentially cleaning house. We do not know if Ryan Pace is going to be put on the unemployment line in this economy. We'll see. But we believe that he probably deserves to not be the general manager of the Chicago Bears. So we are operating under the assumption that he is going to be let go. Whether or not that happens, we don't know. We don't have any inside information into that. Um, EJ and I both feel pretty strongly that he should be let go. So we're getting out in front of it a little bit. 
and we're bringing on the guy that we think has the best in you know information and how to kind of think about these GMs because that's not something that I have a lot of knowledge about. It's not something that EJ necessarily has dug into much either. And so when you're thinking about a general manager for a professional football team in the year 2021 and 2022 and beyond, I want to ask, I want to start off, Brad, with the question, what characteristics should the Chicago Bears be looking for in a general manager? Well, it's funny you mentioned, you know, that you maybe don't have the strongest knowledge base on this area of football. And even though it's part of my job to have it, I still don't really either because by design, you know, it's it's very hard to find out what every guy is doing, what can be attributed to the general manager versus some of the guys he works with, things of that nature. And so for that reason, I think at the highest level, this person needs to be a leader in the company and treat it like a normal company. This man needs to be able to, a man or a woman, needs to be able to listen to a lot of different people, glean information from different areas and and hear things he disagrees with and have diversity of thought around him and not surround himself with yes men and really you know, you're not going to find edges if you're not exploring every cavern there is. And I think we'll get to, you know, a little bit of why we don't necessarily think Ryan Patience stick around, but you can't be just good at a couple things. You need to be pretty good at a lot of different things. And if not, you need to surround yourself with people that you listen to and trust that cover up your blind spots. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that we hear about with Ryan Pace is like, well, he's a pretty good drafter, right? And then anybody says that to me, I immediately come back with okay but how does he value his picks if you're so such a good drafter you'd want more of them right you'd want to be able to take more bites at the apple but let's just talk about pace in general and you know he's been on the job for a while um what do you think led to what were the biggest shortfalls that ryan pace had in his first stint as general manager what do you why do you believe he failed in chicago I mean, I think the thing you just said there is is definitely the top of the list to where, yes, you want someone who can evaluate talent well, which I will give him credit. He can do that. But you don't just blindly in a vacuum acquire talent. The, the cost of that talent matters a lot. And one of the biggest pitfalls of him, both in the draft and in free agency, is they would get totally dead set on a player and they would not have a cost or a value in mind and just be willing to do whatever it took to add that player to their roster. And yeah, there's some hits and, and sometimes it worked out, but over the long haul, if you're continuing to overspend on players and not really take that into consideration, that's when you get in a situation where you have, I believe, the second oldest roster in the NFL um, and a lot of bloated contracts to players that probably aren't even going to be playing next year, but will be owed a lot of cap space and or cash. Um, and the other thing too, though, is, is as Gary Fenchick, the former Bear, said in, in an interview today, he does, like I mentioned, he he's a, he's in a silo. He does not seem like a person that wants to listen to outside voices, different opinions. And yes, I'm from PFF, so people probably think I'm just talking about analytics. But there's so much more than that. There are so many different areas you can explore and ways you can uncover talent or just do di- things differently to find edges. And, and the Bears forever have just not been a club, as, as Fenchik again said, that that talks to former players or talks to, you know, other personnel people or even, you know, people outside of football, draft analysts, whoever, to just learn from and just hear ideas from. And even hearing a bad idea that you know is a bad idea still can maybe get the juices flowing and get you thinking. And so I think it's just tunnel vision in really everything. 
Yeah, and, and Brad's referring to an article that came out in the Trib today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, had some really great quotes, a lot of anonymous quotes, so that they were able to get a lot of candor. And then there was some good stuff uh, from the former hitman, uh, you know, the former safety of the 85 Chicago Bears, Gary Fensick. So what's – and there's some really good stuff in there. You should read it. It's a really good deep dive, and you know it really is kind of exposing a lot of the stuff that we have – been thinking is happening uh, through the years. But I think in general with Ryan Pace, when I think about him is that that word conviction. I mean, he talks about building culture. Everybody talks about building culture. But one of the things that he he seemed to be really convinced was a, was a great attribute was this word conviction. And it used to just be like nails on a chalkboard to me because to me, it's like, well, that's like the opposite of what I think someone like a like a Bill Belichick or something with, with how they would approach the draft where there's like, well, I'm not confident enough in myself to know that I'm going to get it right every time. So I want more of these picks because I would like to get two, three of these guys in here. And I have a pretty good confidence that one of those guys will shake out. But I don't feel confident enough in myself that I know the one guy who's definitely going to come in and he's going to he's going to perform well. And so, you know, to me, that is something that I'm hoping to find with one of these candidates that we're going to talk about here in a minute. EJ, do you have any like general Ryan Pace thoughts before we dive into who might be the next boss of the Bears? Yeah, he started out very strongly, I think, in Chicago. He brought um, things that the former GM didn't, which is always nice, talking about some balance. Um, It was a new message and hopefully a new approach. He came from a program that was pretty successful and has continued to be successful, although you can argue they do it in a uh, somewhat non-orthodox way in terms of cap space. But what he was able to bring early and the excitement that he was able to bring hasn't lasted and the message hasn't changed. There's been a rigidity to this is the way that we do it. This is the way that I do it. Even though it seems like I have lost some effectiveness down the stretch, I'm not going to again, reach out, talk to other sources, modify my approach realize that the league is changing um, around me, I'm going to continue to have conviction. I'm going to continue to trade up. I'm going to continue to bundle picks. And the sort of sinking of Ryan Pace's regime over the last couple of years has been the bad work in free agency. The bidding against yourself, um, paying far more than he needed to. He could have had Dalton for a couple of million dollars per year, maybe $4 million per year for two years. The year before ends up waiting a year, signing Foles, extending him, and then the very next year giving Andy Dalton $10 million for one. Like that in itself is a microcosm of, whoops, didn't play that right. You know, didn't read the room, bid against yourself in the first one, ended up with basically the same product for almost three times as much money just not great. And you combine that with not being able to refill the roster. Again, you could have flexed more strongly into the UDFA market. Didn't choose to do that. Hasn't typically done that. Just says, nope, don't need them. And what you end up with is an old roster, a limited number of picks, a really limited number of uh, limited cap space. People talk about Chicago's cap space is moving to the next year, but there's like what is it? 20 something players signed Brad. It's, it's like 
22 players signed. And if you look at a potential depth chart of those players, like it's not a fieldable team, like it's not even close. So yeah, they have some space, but they have way more holes than they're going to be able to fill either with cash or with draft picks. And then you're going to have to get creative. So it's, it's not, he's not leaving an empty cupboard, but he's not leaving a sort of fertile field either for whoever comes in. It's going to be a challenge to acquire the players that Chicago needs going forwards to surround Justin Fields with talent and field a playoff caliber team. Yeah, the, the players on the roster for next year as of right now, they might be able to run the T formation with man in motion. Uh, they have one wide receiver under contract. Uh, eh, that's, uh, that's that's not good. You need a few of those guys. So, all right. So I teased that we were going to do this. I didn't mention that we were going to have Brad because I didn't know we were going to have Brad at the time. But I teased on our recap show with, with Lester that we were going to have uh, a talk about GMs. And a listener of Baron Balance, thank you very much checking out that show jake who is at jtr underscore 1994 he tweeted out said hey i heard that you're you're teasing you're bringing somebody on to talk about gms i got a list of guys so so jake thank you for that we use that as a as a way to try to build off of this brad knows these guys well we've got a bunch of names i kind of want to start off with rick smith because that's the guy that most people are talking about now because he's not employed right now. And so I think a lot of people are thinking about bringing him in because they can get him in early. They can get him in the building early and and conduct a coaching search. So I want to start with Rick Smith. Yeah, so the Rick Smith is very interesting. Um, For folks that don't know, he was in Houston for a long time. Um, Gets a lot of credit for kind of, you know, building that organization from the ground up. Obviously drafted J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, Whitney Merciless, you know, I mean, really, really any any draft pick you can think of before kind of the Bill O'Brien era in 2018, it's all Rick Smith. Um, he's interesting for a couple of reasons. So he, he stepped away from football. He was not fired. He stepped away because, unfortunately, his wife was sick. Um, and even prior to that, he kind of had this rumor we've been hearing about Ryan Pace potentially getting, quote unquote, promoted actually happened with him where he became the president of football operations or the VP of football operations and, and took on even more responsibility. And so I think the interesting thing with Rick Smith is I can also say this. I know he is still involved around football. I know he does projects and research and is not away from the game. He is still kind of working on some things behind the scenes. Um, But yeah, the thing with him is, he had so few resources in Houston, and obviously their ownership is, is is not a strong ownership group, that in my mind, if you bring him in and maybe actually fill out a staff beneath him, he could be a phenomenal guy to run the show. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, and, and I think a lot of a lot of Bears fans are starting to float his name because they're interested in somebody coming in early and be able to help uh, you know, with with the coaching search because you have a, a, a clean house and you want to get in early. And there, but there's probably not going to be a ton of GM jobs open around the league at this point. I mean, we're talking about the Giants, the Bears, and I mean, what else is out there, right? Maybe the Vikings. You think they, they maybe the Vikings and maybe Jacksonville. Jacksonville and okay. oh, and the Raiders. Did you say the Raiders? I didn't, but yeah, sorry. I've kind of I've kind of moved past the Raiders. I figured they're 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 definitely up for for a reboot. So okay, so that's Rick Smith. Very interesting, you know, situation with him, and and you know, hopefully he's ready to dive back in, um, you know, for his sake because he is a good good football guy and, and needs to get back in it. Where do you want to go next? There's a bunch of names here. Champ Kelly maybe is an interesting name to talk about off the top. Yeah, so obviously Champ Kelly is the in-house guy. Um, he is the uh, maybe number two, maybe number three, kind of hard to tell, but 
Uh, you know, Josh Lucas is there and is kind of the head of the college side. It sounds like Champ Kelly is the head of the pro scouting and 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 the you know the rest of the department. So very interesting guy was in with Denver Broncos during their you know their kind of incredible run. I think he was there from 2007 to 2014 off the top of my head. So obviously you know was there for the Peyton Manning era and and all those times. He has a ton of respect around the league. I, I think when you're a guy in a building that hasn't even really been successful the last couple of years. And your name gets brought up constantly. Um, it's for a reason, you know. I, I've heard he's a guy that is kind of no nonsense. He has a, he's a former player. Um, he kind of I think you won a championship as the GM and coach of a team in like a like an AAF type league, like a a thrown together arena league. So he's kind of worked in every capacity. I think he's seen every angle of football, and I think he's a guy that would command a room, get respect from both players and front office personnel alike. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he is an interesting candidate. I, the tough part is I, I know the Bears care a lot about optics and messaging and all of that, and I, I imagine it would be hard to sell this fan base on you know promoting someone in-house from a failed regime, but I, I do think he's a legit candidate. Yeah, EJ, any thoughts on, on the internal, the idea of bringing in an internal candidate uh, you know, right behind Ryan Pace? The optics will be difficult. There's no doubt about that, but sort of weighing champ Kelly on his own merits. He is a guy that gets talked about and it's kind of like guys that get pro bowl votes on teams that have won, you know, four and five games. If, if you're still being talked about and your regime is about to be swept out and you're being talked about in generally glowing tones, I hear really good things about champ Kelly. And he's one of the few guys actually around the league that I hear anything about, because again, I'm not super well connected, especially not on the pro, the pro personnel side, his name keeps coming up and that's somewhat amazing given Chicago's recent track record. It might be a tough sell to the fan base, but it's funny. That's the initial thing. That's the bump. And then no matter who you get, I mean, we saw this with Urban Meyer, right? Urban Meyer was an easy sell to the Jacksonville fan base. And now less than halfway through the season, look out. They bought the name. They didn't get anything behind it. You know, and the opposite is true, too. If Champ Kelly comes in and puts together a good staff, has a good first draft, has a solid first run through free agency, and the Bears are somewhat competitive despite being pretty hamstrung, as we talked about at the top of the show, people are going to love Champ Kelly, right? It's all about the work. The NFL, regardless of where it is, is a meritocracy after a while. You can come into glowing reviews, but if your results suck, it'll catch up to you, and vice versa. If your results are really good, even if nobody'd ever heard of you before you got there, hey, that guy's pretty solid. Yeah. All right, Brad. So we've got a list of names left. I want you to pick your top two names. Talk about them next. Who are the next guys that on your list that you're like, mm, I'd be pretty happy with that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll jump to one. Uh, his name is Will McClay. So probably a name folks haven't heard a ton about. He works for the Dallas Cowboys. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, it is difficult to glean who is doing what. But I'm fairly confident that Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones don't know a whole lot about football. Um, the occasional <laughs> times we do get a, a peek behind the curtain, um, you know, some of those videos that come out around draft time and stuff, they don't sound particularly, you know, geniuses around football. And so Will McClay, from my perspective, seems like he's basically been the general manager for the Cowboys for a while now. Um, and if you look at their draft history, I mean, they have consistently been one of the best drafting teams in football for the last, you know, decade, 15 years. Um, you know, 
they don't spend a ton of free agency. They try to, you know, build through the draft and be homegrown. But nevertheless, I mean, just look at all the all the hits they've had, and, and it's hard not to respect what he's able to do at, as a talent evaluator. Um, so, you know, I think he is a legitimate candidate to consider um, because, you know, I also think I mentioned the owners like he's also had to deal with the personalities and, and, and trying to deal with a, a difficult owner and, and managing that. He's with the Cowboys, who obviously have all the distractions and everything that comes with Dallas. And he seems to just keep his head down, go about his business, get his work done and be consistently successful in something that you're not supposed to be consistently successful at. Yeah, and he's put a premium on offensive line over the years, so that that would make me happy. All right, who's your next favorite? Oof. Next favorite, I would probably go with Ed Dodds, who is the assistant GM with the Indianapolis Colts right now. Came over from the Seattle Seahawks, and I think that's probably the biggest point for me is, you know, we were talking about some of the things you'd like to see in a general manager. Not always easy uh, to find a guy who's been in multiple successful buildings. Um, obviously, Champ Kelly could be, you know, could be considered one of those, but for Dodds to go from obviously the, the Legion of Boom era in Seattle, and he does get a lot of credit for a lot of the talent evaluation there, to now going to Indianapolis, and I've, I've had the pleasure of, of hanging out with John Schneider a little bit. He's kind of a laid back, fun guy, and then you know Chris Ballard seems the opposite. Seems like a very serious, very stern person, and so I think just the fact that he's kind of been in two, uh, my guess, two different vibe buildings. And been successful, again, been successful in both where, yes, obviously these teams are not, you know, haven't won a championship recent years, but consistent 10-win football teams. Um, he apparently, you know, is a bit of a old-school football guy, but I think it's kind of like Ballard. They, they're both old-school football guys, but they're willing to listen to other ideas and explore other areas of, of, of you know, potential research and whatnot. So <clears throat> he's very intriguing to me as well. Yeah, Ballard's, of course, the guy that got away, right? Like, Ballard's the guy that lost out on the job to Ryan Pace. He had to take a, another year or two before he got the Indianapolis job. Um, so that would be kind of interesting to kind of, you know, all these guys kind of work together. It's not like that's unique, but it's kind of interesting that you kind of have the Chris Ballard line through it. So a uh, number of other names. What about guys, like, from recently successful programs, probably getting some buzz, like like Kansas City? Anybody down there that's interesting? Yeah, so there are two names in Kansas City. Um, Mike Berganzi is the name that I, I think you might hear more. Uh, he, by all accounts, works harder than maybe anyone in that building. Uh, he's known to be a guy who spends, you know, kind of like the sleep in the office type guy. Um, he is pretty young, but he's risen up the ranks. I, I think there was a stat that, like, he's been in Kansas City for about a dozen years now, and he's been promoted like six or seven times in those dozen years, which is not easy to do. You can kind of get stuck sometimes and upward mobility can be a challenge in the NFL. So by all accounts is going to be a general manager at some point, um, you know, whether that's in the immediate future or not, we don't know. And then Ryan Poles as well is in their player personnel department. He interviewed for some general manager jobs last year. I know he interviewed in Carolina and a couple other spots. You're not trying to keep saying this and, and, you know, name dropping, but I also uh, fortunately um, have had a couple conversations with him as well. And, Really, really bright guy. He kind of blew me away in some of the conversations we had with he I, I believe he's a former player, but was picking our brain about analytics and picking our brain about all sorts of different things. And just a guy that I think would want to have as many smart voices in the room um, and, and just learn in any capacity he can. And, and I also, you know, I think he's a, a relatable guy, a nice guy that that would get along with anyone, not to a, you know, not not that he's like a 
you know, again, this article, this watch this Chicago Tribune article that it's a little bit too jovial and friendly in the Bears situation right now. I don't I don't think he's he's too friendly, but um just a guy that I think would be able to be a you know the leader of a building um and get along with people and, and be productive with everyone around him. Friendly to analytics is music to my ears. I'll I'll put my resume in with uh, Mr. Poles and see if uh, you know he needs he needs a staff. But um, what about the the NFC counterpart uh, in in all this? The Buccaneers. Is there anybody in the Buccaneers system that maybe is getting a look? Yeah. So this is a name that when last year I was doing some research and reaching out to some contacts, I consistently kept hearing the name John Spitek, uh with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I want to I want to say he's their is their their college scout and the director of college scouting. Um, and I've just heard that I mean obviously they've been on this incredible run the last couple of years now of drafting. You know, starting with the kind of the Mike Evans year, they had a couple hits, but in the last couple of years they really ha- have been on a hot streak. And as we always say, and as we know, it is there is some randomness to it. Um, you you do get lucky sometimes and maybe get unlucky other times, but. He just kept his name kept coming up with folks I spoke to. And obviously now he's been in a building where, you know, Jason Light, their GM, came from the Patriots. So you kind of have a little bit of that in there. I'm not saying you show his, you know, chase the next Patriots guy, but a guy who's had seasoning from different buildings and learned different things. And I think again, as you mentioned, you know, kind of with Champ Kelly, the fact that he was in Tampa when they were struggling for the longest time and his name kept coming up and people kept mentioning him and saying he was one of those next GMs probably says a lot because they were not a you know successful franchise for a very long time. Now that they're winning and obviously won the Super Bowl, that name just kind of keeps getting more and more traction. I mean, Spytech, what a heck of a name. It, so- it sounds like a, you know, an espionage uh, technology firm or something, right? Yeah. We like the openness that Indy brings. We want that in our next GM. Can you can you put in a nod for that, Brad? I love what Indianapolis does in terms of sharing their process, being open, and kind of breaking down that barrier of, hey, super secrecy is not a huge advantage, right? After the fact, we can tell you what we were thinking, and we don't really care if people try and build a profile on what we're going to do because we're pretty confident about our process and the guys you mentioned that have been in different buildings and seen different approaches guys like Dodds right Ballard and Schneider don't do it the same way they both have been successful but Schneider is much more he said he's laid back but in terms of draft capital he is about as far an outlier as there is in terms of wheeling and dealing he's done some and I'm just going to use the word magical as an adjective like he has done some magical things with turning some high picks into multiple other picks, which to JB's point of multiple bites, the apple is one approach. Ballard a little bit more classic and not along the lines of Ryan Pace of, of bundling and moving up, but a little bit more, I would say straight to the vest, but has still found value doing it that way. And that makes a guy like Dodds or Spytech really interesting to me that they've seen a couple of different buildings, seen a couple of different approaches and can kind of blend those and say, well, I like this. And I like what Jason brought from the Patriots, but I wouldn't do this part of it. And the other thing you said that really got on me is people that are not afraid of as many smart voices in the room as they can get, that they are not territorial. They do not have to be the unquestioned alpha, that good ideas can come from anywhere. You stop the podcast, treat it like a treat it like any other business or any other organization. And those are the business leaders that I'm attracted to are the people that can take a frontline staffer and have them say, look, I'm really close to the work and this is dumb. Like, here's a better way to do it. And that becomes SOP for the whole company. 
and you see those changes. You always hear those stories. It takes a lot of courage as a leader, as a CEO, as a division head to be able to say, yeah, I got this from Joe Schmo. He's been with us for six months and it was a really good idea and to champion that and turn it into something that changes things. So any candidate I would want to see that quality in who is like, look, if there's a good voice, I'm listening to the idea. doesn't mean I'm automatically going to accept it, but I'm not going to dismiss it because of where it came from. I really like what you said, too, just to jump in real quick, you know, about the insular nature of some clubs and how others like Indy, you know, they love to create these videos where you get to see their draft process. And also Tampa, too. Jason Light tells people a lot of things and is more open in press conferences. I think my perception now is those guys are confident. Not only they're confident in their process and confident that like their secrets aren't going to get stolen, but also they recognize they don't have secrets. And that's the <laughs> thing is that if you're so afraid of someone finding out what you're doing, what you're doing might not even be the right thing in five years from now because you need to adapt and change and grow as the league grows. So if you're that tethered to your ideas, it's probably a red flag to begin with. Yeah, I mean, Brad, did you listen to uh, Flying Coach, uh, the podcast series that was hosted by McVeigh over the offseason? Uh, McVeigh and Peter Schrager. And he brings on all these coaches. And, I mean, it maybe isn't, like, granular to the point of, like, you know, we, you know, you move this tight end out one yard to flex here so that he gets more of an – I mean, it wasn't that granular. But there was some stuff that there was flying back and forth between these head coaches. And it was, like – Wait, I'm. I can listen to this. This is something that I'm. This is this is free. Like I get to. I get to consume this material. And I think that that's where we're moving. Is is it's out there anyway. Why not? Why not? Why not present it to your fan base? And you know, we create content, right? Like we we create content all the time. It would be nice if we could have a little more access to create even more informed and better content. And if you bring us in, we'll be more informed and we'll be able to to help lead our audience through whatever is happening. Um, but as of this, this regime has been the opposite of that. I mean, it is impossible, you know, new media is not welcome. Um, you know, it, it's all just, uh, you know, BS cliches that are given at press conferences and, you, you know, they're worthless. And so someone who's more open and honest with your fan bases and, and your, your reporters is more than welcome. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes I like to say, Bears fans, and I'm sure it's every fan base, but we get so caught up and tied in the results and we should focus more on the process. But Absolutely. we have no window into what the process is in Chicago. Right. So I guess it's fair that all we do is focus on results because that's all we know. And if if we knew and trusted that they had a sound process and we, again, not everything, but we knew that they were considering everything and all that, then we would say, hey, look, the results didn't work out. You know, Trubisky didn't work out or X pick didn't work out. But we know that they turned over every leaf and turned over every stone, whatever, I messed that expression up. But like we would trust that they did their due diligence, did their homework, and unfortunately it didn't work out. Whereas instead, we're sitting here going like, did they take Deshaun Watson to dinner? Did they do this? Did they do that? Because we don't know what they're doing. Right, right. And there's reports after the fact, we're arguing about it three years later, and the fact is, no, they didn't do enough work. They made it secret, and they got locked into one guy, and they traded up. And it's bad process to trade up one pick to get that. I mean, like, nothing makes sense, and we are forced to, to try to put the pieces together, but we can't even see the whole picture. So it's a hard puzzle to put together. All right, so you've got a few names left on your list. I want you to just kind of run through them speed round, just kind of give us the highlights of why you think they might make a good GM or why not. Yeah, for sure. So still, still names that I really do like. So don't don't take it that you know because they're getting mentioned later. They're they're lower on the the want list. I would say the first one I mentioned is Omar Khan. He right now is the number two in Pittsburgh. It does sound like there's growing buzz in league circles that 
Pittsburgh GM Kevin Colbert might retire. Um, he's under contract through this upcoming draft, but then after April of 2022, his contract is over. And so he might continue going or he might not. You know, there's there's a lot of rumors that him and Big Ben might just kind of ride out together. But so nevertheless, if not, Omar Khan started actually at Tulane and then with the Saints for about 20 years. So he actually probably knows Ryan Pace pretty well. Um and he was a cap guy. So he, you know, a little soft spot in my heart. He, he came from the financial <laughs> background, but also a talent evaluator. He was a player personnel guy at Tulane, then was kind of low totem pole, you know, personnel in New Orleans and worked his way up through the football administration department. Um, the thing there is the New Orleans Saints and the Pittsburgh Steelers could not be run more differently if they tried, right? Like right. the Steelers have traded in the draft. They've made, I think, five trades in this decade. The Saints make five five trades a draft. So, right. you know, very different. And then also the way they spend. I mean, the Steelers do not really spend in free agency. The Saints are willing to go there. The Steelers don't. You know, they added a void year for the first time in their history this year. The Saints have been doing that for, you know, a long time. They invented the damn thing. Exactly right. So, so he's <laughs> seen a lot. He's been around for a long time. Um, they're, you know, I think still in football, most people want your GM to be your top talent evaluator. And I think that's probably why he hasn't gotten a job yet. Um, you know, it sounded like the Houston Texans job was his and, and that sounded like a done deal. And then at the last second, Nick Casario kind of swooped in and took it. And, and that's probably my guess there. But nevertheless, a very good candidate. Someone to keep your eye on is Omar Khan. Next one, unless, unless you have any comments there. No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah. So next one is Joe Hortiz, who is with the Baltimore Ravens. So Joe Hortis is a member of the 2020 club, they call it in Baltimore, which is when he started, he was in his 20s and he was making $20,000 a year. And now he's worked his way up. Um, him and Eric DaCosta, actually, who's the, the Ravens general manager now, they started, I want to say DaCosta came in two years before Hortis. Um, and obviously they've gone through the ranks together. You know, the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, are probably the best run organization in football. That includes the New England Patriots. Um, you know, because I think the Patriots just have kind of a savant and then a lot of people right. around him, whereas Baltimore, I mean, Ozzie Newsom also might be a savant, but they've just built a very strong infrastructure. They obviously have a robust analytics department, but also they invest in football administration, they invest in sports science and nutrition, all these various things. So Hort is, by all accounts, is a, is a just a pure, you know, talent evaluator. So kind of the opposite of Khan, but I think a guy that because of where he is, would say, all right, I'll be Ryan Pace, but I will then trust people around me to, to kind of fill my blind spot. So another another good one there. I just just real quick. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I would like the Hall of Fame committee to consider having a special vote to add a general manager tag onto Ozzie Newsom's Hall of Fame plaque or Hall of Fame bust. And, and like, I mean, they might have it up there anyway because he served as, hall, as as a general manager. But I want them to vote on it and say he is also a Hall of Fame general manager, right? Like, I mean, George Hallis is, you know, in in the Hall of Fame for multiple reasons. But like, I just want like a special vote for him to to be in for for that reason as well. So sorry, go continue. No, I I could not agree more. Uh, he, he deserves it. And, um, and then some other guys, too, if you're going to think about the next step of this whole process, of course, is, all right, who are they going to poach? Um, there are some very interesting names in Baltimore. He can maybe try to bring um, some people with him if he does come. So, so definitely a good name to watch. And this applies, again, to the next guy. So Joe Schoen is the assistant general manager with the Buffalo Bills. Another guy like Mike Berganzi, who's really young, but again, by all accounts, just an absolute workhorse, has worked his way up the ladder. I think the interesting thing in Buffalo is – 
They have a couple guys that, that have interviewed for GM jobs already in the past. Terrence Gray, Lake Dawson. Um, I'm blanking on a couple names, but that is a robust front office where he, if he brings a number two with him, that guy could be interviewing for general manager jobs a couple years later. That's how many kind of smart and respected and trusted people they have there. So I don't know a ton about him, um, but obviously the Bills, you know, since Brandon Bean came over, um, they have been a phenomenally run organization and have done a lot of the you know right things. So I, I think he's a good name there. Dave Ziegler uh, with the New England Patriots. I'm sure he's good at his job. I don't know a ton about what he does because the Patriots are also very insular. And for me, you know, Nick Casario just got hired in Houston. So Ziegler, I mean, I think Bill Belichick's the general manager, frankly, but but Ziegler's only been the number one guy for a year now. And and also I, I think Casario's been been frankly terrible in Houston anyway. So um, you know, not not super high on him, but you know, it's the New England Patriots. They had a last two draft classes now. After years of struggling, they've kind of knocked that out of the park in 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, generally smart and free agency. They've kind of been different th- these past couple of years. I think, you know, first when Tom Brady was leaving, now maybe because Belichick is thinking about hanging him up. Um, they've operated a little bit differently. But obviously, historically, it's been a very well-run organization. The final one, a very interesting name, in my opinion, is Quezia Adolfo Mensa with the Cleveland Browns. So... Another one of those guys, like their current GM, Andrew Barry, I believe he's Ivy League educated, and he is a football guy, but is also, I think, just just kind of known as like a whiz and a really, really smart guy. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the Cleveland Browns is, again, that's a team that has invested in their front office to an extreme degree. I mean, Paul D. Podesta, their head of you know, their football operations or football strategy or whatever his, his title is, um, came from the Mets uh, in baseball and is just someone – that is, you know, willing to explore different areas again to find edges. The Cleveland Browns. I don't know if you know people know this, but they're one. Of, they're the only team in the NFL that tries to grade players the same way PFF does. Everyone grades their own players. The Cleveland Browns have now tried to build out an infrastructure where they're grading every player in the NFL. Um, they just do so many things that other buildings just have not gotten to yet. Um, you know, and I think Andrew Barry from, came from the Philadelphia Eagles. Now their general manager um, is already one of the best GMs in football, and so I think learning underneath him. Uh, you know, would go a super long way. And again, if Adolfo Mensa leaves, he could recruit some guys that would all be very bright. Um, I know it's crazy. We're talking about the Cleveland Browns here, but some very bright guys that I think could build out a, a great front office. Yeah, they've got a good roster. Yeah, Barry's done one of the most yeoman's jobs in the entire NFL. If you look at the Browns roster, we do our offseason previews for bootleg. Last couple of years, we've done them. The Browns roster was pretty much the hands down winner if you're just grading talent on paper they were so incredibly deep across every position if three running backs that can start had three tight ends that can start they had seven guys in their secondary that could all go to other nfl teams and start they've got a tremendous defensive line they've got enough weapons at receiver the offensive line was the best offensive line in football last year. <laughs> yeah. It's like you didn't even talk about the old line yet. You couldn't go anywhere, maybe linebacker, but then they go out in this year's draft and get a Wusu Koromoa. Now you're like, well, uh, that was the one spot you were weak at, and you went and got one of the best players as a rookie in the NFL. If there wasn't a Micah Parsons out there, we'd be talking a lot more about JOK. Like Andrew Barry and I like that you say the building or his staff, like it is a robust staff. It is a large staff. It is kind of the opposite of their near neighbor, the Bengals, right? It's they have 
pushed all the chips into saying, we're going to have as many resources as we can to do this. And the results, again, we're talking about a results-based business. You look at the Browns roster, 95% of the teams in the NFL would take the Browns roster. Like it is so loaded top to bottom. So if a guy like Quessy can come in, bring a couple other people that are like-minded and you know, want to be aggressive about building that kind of roster with depth in Chicago, like woo freaking who? Yes, please. Yeah. And the thing too is, is in every different way, even look at the offensive line. So, you know, Jedrick Wills use a first round pick, then Tyler Conklin, you spend a decent amount of free agency. Then you take a flyer and trade a fifth and sixth round pick to the bills for Wyatt Teller and boom, you have three good players there. And then you know, like all across the roster, I like the secondary. Again, you have some big ticket guys, some smaller signings, defensive line. You take a one-year flyer on Clowney and a one-year flyer on Tech McKinley, one-year flyer on Malik Jackson, and, and all these guys. They do everything, they, and that's 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 all really all you can ask. Like we said, the process is sound. The results right now could be better, but you trust that the process is sound. And you mentioned they built out a big staff, and this is what I don't understand. This is the un you know, regulated part of football, right? Like you can spend only so much money on players. That's the salary cap. That's what we obsess over. But how you build your front office and how you build your staff out, there's no limit to that. They're not, the NFL doesn't care how much money you spend on a staff and you're making crazy amount of money. Bring in more smart people, bring in more smart people to help you do things, to help you run research, whatever it is. That's the untapped resource there. And, you know, the Chicago Bears have not done that traditionally. They have not done that under Ryan Pace. And it would be nice to see them put resources into that. Maybe they need a different ownership group. I know that exactly half of you listening thought that right when I said it, they're not going to do it with the McCaskies. Okay, maybe that's true. But a GM that pushes for that and, and wants that with from ownership Maybe that's that's what it takes. So um, we're going to move into speed round, Brad. We've been doing this this year. It's a new thing. So we've been doing a preview show. We're also trying to keep it lighthearted. And so one of the things we want to do is ask our guests for just quick answers to things that we think uh, you can provide insight into. So we know that you have spent a fair number of years in New Orleans, and we want to know your favorite New Orleans breakfast. Yeah, so this is maybe the hardest question I've ever been asked, frankly. But um, you know, it, it, it is the the brunch capital of, of of you know where I've been, and I've been in a lot of cities. But I'm gonna shout out a place called Bearcat Cafe. I think it's honestly pretty new to the scene. Obviously, there's some places that have been there forever. Um, Bearcat Cafe is relatively new, and it, it's in Uptown, um, kind of lower Garden District. If if you're familiar with New Orleans, um, and is just I, I mean some of the best breakfast food. You know, whether it's savory or sweet whatever you're looking for it's the best breakfast food you, you can find so believe it or not my wife and i were in new orleans as the pandemic was starting and we went to bearcat and then my wife said we're going back so we were at bearcat twice right as the pandemic was starting so this is like early march of 2020 um we were in new orleans and we went to bearcat twice we also got a parking ticket when we went to bearcat the second time because new orleans likes to give you parking tickets it's true. It's true. Also, we may have crossed paths because I was there. I was still living there at that point, and you and I may have been, you know, eating breakfast a couple tables over. Ah, man, I should have. I should have sent you a DM. 
Um, all right, EJ, why don't you ask the next one? Yeah, favorite guilty pleasure position to draft. This is a position that is not highly rated, not not defensive end, not quarterback, not cornerback, that you just like it. Like, what's your guilty pleasure position to draft? I love this one because it's an easy answer for me. Uh, it's 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 a safety. I, I just and it's both safeties too. Like whether you're watching college highlights of a box safety of a guy. Like I remember watching. I still remember watching Jabril Peppers at Michigan. Like and, and just the plays he was able to make, and they bring him down to the line and, and do all these various things. He also could play, you know, kind of the deep third. But nevertheless, or just a rangy ball hawk safety, whatever it is. Um, it's not really a premium position. The NFL has really shown us that with contracts and draft picks. Um, but I, I'm a sucker for, you know, a good safety with great college highlights. Well, the answer we were looking for was left guard, but that is fine. We will we will accept safety. Uh, no. Uh, so the next question, you uh, have Esquire after your name. You are a lawyer. Congratulations on passing the bar recently. Um, what is your favorite lawyer joke that you've heard so far? She is funny. I couldn't think of one, but I, I just did. And, and it's I got to shout out my dad here. Uh, <laughs> he made this joke when I passed the bar uh, a couple months ago. Um, he said, I think that's the first bar you've ever walked past. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like that one. He said, yo, you passed the bar. That's a first. So I, I like that one a lot. <laughs> oh, credit to dad. That's a killer. That's that. There's a yeah, lot of lawyer jokes out there, but that one's quality. It's a, a little bit of a stab too. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, it's perfect. Oh. But you spent time in New Orleans bars. I mean, like that's what are you going to do, man? I mean, God, you got to have a Sazerac here. Right. Open uh, cheap. So this one could be harder than the breakfast question because these are the I hate these. These are the these are the hardest kinds of questions for me because I was the kid that would stand at the table and mom would say, hey, we just want picking blueberries. You can have a blueberry. And I'd be like, and like 10 minutes later, she'd be like, are you going to pick one? I'm like, I'm looking for the biggest one. Right. So the all time favorite questions are absolutely super difficult for me to all time favorite Bears player. Yeah, they're tough. I agree with you there. They're also tough for me because I'm weird where, like, I remember guys that weren't necessarily the best players, mm-hmm. but were just kind of like guys I loved watching or maybe grew up with or whatever the case may be. Um, I still remember just screaming moose for Moose and Muhammad when I was like yeah. eight years old in Chicago. <laughs> um, but I will pick a, a, a legend. Um, I mean, Peanut Tillman is the guy like I most vividly remember watching um, and just making play after play. Um, although I do, I did love Mike Brown back then as well. But yeah, so I'll go with Peanut Tillman um, as my all-time favorite bear. That, that right. I yeah. And your bailout, you just made JB's heart grow three sizes like the Grinch because he's he's a Peanut Tillman guy. Who is your second favorite? This is your bailout. You can pick. You can pick two. Oof. So I'm just. This is an example right here of a, of a wonky one. So um, Earl Bennett. I'm going with my guy Earl Bennett. Yeah. Earl, yeah. Earl. All right. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So nice. he now works Vanderbilt. Uh, at Vanderbilt, um, right. where, where yeah. I went to college, and that. has apparently been crushing it on the recruiting trail. Um, he is the best former Vanderbilt alum to play for the Bears, in my opinion. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, it's Hunter Hillenmeyer. It's Hunter Hillenmeyer. Sure, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had, uh, there, no, there were like yeah. five Vanderbilt guys at one point. It was crazy. I know. I know. Yeah. So I remember him as well. There's a bunch. I mean – we can go on the list of obscure Bears players, but yeah, he, he was my favorite for a while there as well. I'm waiting for Brad Muster. Well, that may be a little old for Brad. Yeah. He, yeah, no, Brad didn't know Brad. Brad was before Brad. There was another I, Brad back in the day, too. I, I think that there's this, I think it's ever any fan base, but I think that there's that like favorite guy that like 
proves that you watch the team more than most people, right? Like anybody can buy an Erlacher jersey. Anybody can buy the Mac jersey now, right? Everybody knows the best player on the team. But do you know the fullback? Do you know the long snapper? I got a Pat Manley jersey. You know, like there's this like level of cred, I think, for people. I mean, I my favorite player growing up was Tom Waddle. And then everybody knows Tom Wall now because he's on the radio. And I've met him. I've talked to him. Great guy. Uh, and then, you know, when I was doing the Bears history series uh, last summer, I really kind of forced myself to think, who is your favorite player? Because you've, you know, getting, you know, I've been a Bears fan for my entire life. And that's almost four decades now. So who is your best, who is your favorite player? And as I really kind of started to think about it, it's like, no, it's really Peanut Tillman. And it's grown after he has retired. Because he has just been such this class act and and you reflect on his career and it's just been, it's just grown, my appreciation for him has grown. And I loved watching him play. I used to get so angry when he wouldn't make Pro Bowls. Like I would just, I would just yell, like when I, the Pro Bowl list would come out and he wouldn't be on it. I'd be like, what are these people doing? Um, but, but yeah, so love that you, love that you pick that. I don't know, man, like. That is an amazing fountain of knowledge. You just, you know, pour it all over bears over beers. And I love that you did that. Um, we want to check in on the beer before you before you take off here because we know you're a busy guy. We'll let you uh, go back to, to enjoying your night. But how was the beer? I, I just want to say, too, I'm, I know you love, like me, when player current players still call it the peanut punch, it brings a smile to my face like every single time. Um, this beer was phenomenal. So, not an IPA, but a pale ale, which is actually, if I had to pick one type of beer, it's probably my favorite type of beer. Um, this was, like, if I had to do out of 10, I'm giving this, like, a 9 out of 10. This was a very, very good beer. Uh, again, Green Room by Barrier. So I highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. And I was thinking about, you know, like, the SNL uh, multiple hosts, right? Like the five timers club, the 10 timers club, right? Like there's this like group of SNL hosts that have come back year after year and they get into special clubs. They got smoking, smoking jackets and stuff like that. Uh, we keep doing this podcast and you keep coming back. We'll have to send you a bears over beer smoking jacket. I love it. Uh, we'll be talking Ottawa, a Gunlier, or who knows at that point, And it'll, it'll be great. <laughs> awesome, Brad. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on again. All right, EJ, let's get back into this. Great stuff from Brad. Awesome having him back on. And I think he's in the lead. I think that three appearances on Bears Over Beers is the most, right? I think Lester might have two. Um, I don't know if... Uh, Lester might be tied with three, but we'll have to go back to the archives and figure it out. But yeah, uh, no, he's he's definitely tied for the lead. Yeah, we're in like 80s episodes, but we don't have guests on all of them. A lot of times it's just the two of us. So um, good stuff from Brad. And uh, he was the perfect guest for this. Uh, particular topic and really glad we were able to get him on here and some really exciting potential guys a lot of really successful programs a lot of guys that look like they're itching uh, for that next promotion and so hopefully uh, the Bears were able to pick a, a quality candidate from looks like a pretty deep pool in a year where there's maybe not that much competition for GM jobs yeah I like that that you know we're looking at maybe at max four GM jobs but probably more likely two to three uh, that means there's a lot of candidates and not very many seats. So you can be choosy. You might be able to take a little bit more time. I'm not advocating that, that the bears go slow on this. Um, but you're going to have your choice of some very quality candidates. And you're basically going to be sort of picking between superlatives for guys that are even interview eligible. So 
there's a chance here that the organization could take a real turn. And the fun thing in talking with Brad about all those candidates is a lot of those organizations are incredibly successful because they have a strong GM culture, a strong GM in place. You're talking about the Ravens and it went from Ozzy to DaCosta. Like the, that is, those are guys that understand. And if you think the Ravens sustained success is not tied in large part directly to those decisions, you're kidding yourself. Harbaugh is an excellent coach, nothing against Harbaugh, but he has had the coffers filled and refilled for his entire tenure. Tomlin never had a losing season in all of his Pittsburgh seasons. It's because Colbert and his staff have continually pushed solid players and they're their coaches have developed them. It is a it is a synergy between all the all the facets, but like getting guys from organizations that understand that would be a change for the Bears because the Bears have not been able to do those things in unison, and we see the results on the field. And a lot of times, fans want to blame that on the coach of the moment, the player that's loafing at the moment, the quarterback. Like those are the easy targets, but it's much harder to say. Well, the, you know. They just didn't stock the cupboard with enough good players or they didn't develop the players they had at a high enough rate and it caught up to them. That's a much less, that's a more amorphous target. It's tougher mm -hmm. to shoot at. It's much easier to say, Matt Nagy can't call plays. He sucks, right? So getting somebody that could change, this is a culture changing moment if they get one of those GMs with those experiences and they come in. Um, we talked about Cleveland and building out a front office, building out a support structure for years that can support a continually successful football program on the field. It's more than just who you pick in the draft. It's more than just how your coaches develop. It's more than just how your coach calls plays. It's all of those things. And the other thing is your down years are not going to be as down. You might be 500 in your down year. Bears have had a lot of years below 500, right? It's almost like a life preserver. Yeah, we had a lot of injuries. We had some bad luck. But because, you know, our pro scouting department has been grinding late at night, we pulled this guy off the practice squad and he's playing meaningful snaps for us. We got this UDFA for nobody in two years ago and our coaches have developed him and now he's a decent nickel corner. Like, those are the buffers that will buoy your team in the low times. So this is really exciting stuff. If they get the right candidate in, they can start to build a program that doesn't have these deep troughs that laughed last years. And any bears fan will get behind that. Yeah. The team building approach is incredibly important. If you're more interested in trying to maximize the amount of capital that you have as opposed to, you know, having that conviction like we talked about earlier with Brad and trying to build out depth. And that's just something that Bears just do not have. And that's been very clear this year <laughs> that they have been exposed in the depth department. But we want to talk about uh, the Vikings. Bears get the Vikings twice in the last four games. They're going to finish the year out with them as well in Minnesota. This one's on Monday night. It's in Soldier Field. Right now, the Bears and the Vikings are both in the advanced COVID protocol, which means that their meetings are, have to happen on Zoom. And I don't know what's happening with practices or whatever, but COVID's really going through the league again. There's a lot of positive tests that are happening right now. The Bears are um, in that advanced group. I think there's seven teams across the league that are in that status as well. And they happen to be playing a team that has that same issue. Um, Vikings come into this one. They're a little bit of record. They are still fighting for a potential playoff spot. The 
I've I have felt like and I, I you know I know a broken record that this is the uh, you know Spider-Man meme pointing at each other. It's got a coach that's probably not going to last in the next year, GM that might not last in the next year. Um, the difference is, of course, that the, the Bears have their quarterback of the future, Justin Fields. They're going to try to build around. The Vikings have Kirk Cousins, who you know probably just isn't playing good enough to elevate a team um, to where that they want to go. But otherwise, you know, this team seemed like it was going to be pretty similar. The Bears have suffered a couple of tough losses, you know, close losses where the record isn't quite the same. But I feel like this team is pretty similar in the other way. What have you seen from the Vikings that you've – how do they match up with the Bears? Yeah, the Vikings and the Vikings are a lot like Kirk Cousins, which is a bit weird. Kirk Cousins is their leader as the quarterback is incredibly streaky and very talented. And when Kirk Cousins is hot, he looks as good as any quarterback in the league. And I'm not kidding. That's not hyperbole. He can look for stretches like Aaron Rodgers. He can look for stretches um, like any super accurate downfield passer that you want. And he has a very talented receiving core. The thing about the Vikings in general, from a sort of team culture standpoint, is they don't seem to be able to bring consistency they will play up to good opponents and you know take the packers right to the wire and even beat them and then the next week they'll be playing the lions and oh this game is close in the fourth quarter and you're like how is this possible how do you take the packers to the wire or beat them and then how do you play the lions soft but this is the minnesota experience and it it what makes being a Vikings fan so damn difficult, I'm sure, is that you see the talent. You see Justin Jefferson being one of the probably five best receivers in the league without question. Oh, you yeah. see Kirk on his hot streaks. You see Dalvin Cook come out injured against a poor run fit defense and roll up 200 yards. And you're like, we can do this whenever we want. You see a lot of the talent they have on defense. And then you don't see it play together consistently week to week and stack those results. You see them play at extremely high eyes and then the next week come out and lay an absolute egg. So it's really frustrating for Vikings fans. If you listen on Twitter, like they're like, what is going on? And they are ready to blow it up because they're just like, what's going to happen next year? The same thing. Like if we get some good roles, it might work out okay. But other than that, we're going to play up to the high games. We're going to play down to the low games and we're going to be in the same spot. Do we want to stay on this merry-go-round? And a lot of them are starting to say, no, we don't. Now that's a, we know that's a brave choice to jump off the dock without a quarterback of the future in hand, but it sort of feels that way in Minnesota. So it really depends on the Jekyll Hyde thing. Which team do you get? If you get Kirk Cousins hot against this Bears secondary, this game will be no fun from the first quarter on. Like, he will blow them off the field. If they come out and play down and struggle and self-defeat with a ton of mistakes, does that sound familiar? Should to Bears fans, but the Vikings are prone to do the same thing. Stack penalties in a row, get themselves behind the count. Then this could be, it's a weird thing to say because the Vikings are way more talented. It could be a competitive game, but it all depends on which Vikings team shows up. Yeah, I, I think the part that I'm actually most worried about from the Bears perspective is this offensive line, which is beat up. And now you've got COVID issues. And, and so you've got a couple of different things that are fighting here. 
you know, we could be looking at a Bears offensive line that has Tevin Jenkins and Lachavius Simmons at your tackle spots for, for the Monday night game. And so going against this Vikings team that, believe it or not, is leading the league in sacks. Yeah, they have a lot of talent. And one of the things that the Vikings D-line coaches and sort of the whole D-line philosophy under Mike Zimmer has been really good at and tops in the league. It's always one of the sort of top destinations when we're talking about the draft that we say, oh, man, here's this guy with all these tools that doesn't look like he's fully developed. Like one of the programs on the list for landing spot is always the Vikings. Like, man, if a guy like that goes to the Vikings, they can develop him. They've done it over and over again. And they have talent. But again, they just don't show up in the same kind of bunches. Like it's not that front that comes out every week and just puts opposing offenses under crazy pressure and forces mistakes. They have the talent to, like you said, they're leading league in sacks. The potential is there, but the production on the field is this crazy roller coaster. So again, if they come out and they're playing, I would say even at about half speed against the line you described again, not going to be a fun night for anybody in Chicago, especially Justin Fields, uh, assuming he's good to go. And by all accounts, he is, um, but if they come out and, you know, maybe Peters comes back, maybe they slide Tevin over to right. I would actually like to see that. Not that I have anything against Larry Borum, but I would like to see how Tevin responds in really what is his second preseason game at right tackle, um, as opposed to left and see if all that muscle memory just kicks in because look, all the tape at Oklahoma state was largely at right tackle. He did play some left, but his right tackle tape at Oklahoma state was dominant. Right. And I, I just can't imagine that he's forgotten all that stuff. Well, it's like with Penny Sewell in Detroit, right? Like they, they tried to play him at right. He looked pretty bad early on. And so an injury forced him to take to kick over to left. And all of a sudden, Penny Sewell looks pretty good at football. Oh, okay. Yeah. Surprise, 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 right? Well, the Vikings are three and a half point favorites uh, on the road at Soldier Field. So that shows you what the betting community thinks of this game. I think that that's probably fair. I think that the Bears can keep it close. Uh, three and a half, that the hook there, the, the half point there is pretty significant because that's saying that it's not just a field goal game. It's a little over. Um, so I do think that that's, that's a pretty fair line. I don't know that I'd want to bet it one way or the other, to be honest with you. I don't know what else to say here. I'd like to see the Bears give the ball to David Montgomery. I mean, they gave the ball to him nine times in the first half against that Packers, and then they just abandoned it. They only gave it to him once in the second half, and that's not nearly enough. And That game was close you know, into the second half. I don't know why they abandoned giving the ball to David Montgomery, but they really do need to give that to him. They need, they need to give him 20 carries. Um, and not just because I need to see him get a thousand yards so that I can win a season long bet. That's not the only reason. Um, not at all. I don't have any other, you know, I don't have that ulterior motive, but no, seriously, I do think that they need to give him touches and they need to, um, stabilize the game. And I think that if they're able to try to get him, you know, that 16 carry mark, I think they need to, you know, build that off, uh, build, build their offense off of that. And, and of course the play action that goes with it, it'd be nice to see if the bears could call some play action for Justin Fields since he's really good at it. Yeah, that's good. And we talked about it as well, that this line is not great at either, but they are better run blocking. There is no doubt. Like they are clearly better uh, man for man across the line with possibly the exception of Peters. Like Peters is a great run blocker. There's no question, but he might be equally as good as a pass blocker. Like 
the rest of the line is better going forward than they are going backward. And you need to give them that stability. Like, Hey, we're going to give you some plays where you can go out and do the best thing you do. It may not be great. You may not create a lot of motion. We've, you know, we've seen games where they haven't, you haven't created a lot of space or motion, but they're still better going forward. It still gives Justin Fields a break where he's not running for his life on that particular play. And you need that balance. And if you do start to crack some holes, the the Vikings run fits have been pretty good, especially when their starting backers are in. They were out two weeks ago with injury. They came back this last week, but they still gave up some runs. Like it's something you just need to give your offensive line kind of as a as a as a carrot on a stick, right? Like we're gonna put it out there. You're gonna get to run block at least. 18 times this game you're not going to have to pass protect 55 times because we know you're bad at that and if we put those odds in front of you you're going to give up some plays and that can get people hurt yeah i mean cody whitehair has been pretty bad this year he's been okay in the run game he's been terrible in the passing game he's just not he's just getting beat up christopher hasn't been great really in either phase. He's always needed help. Again, Peters can hold his own in either phase. I think he's a better pass blocker than he is run blocker, but he's very capable as a run blocker. Larry Borum has been the sort of tail of two tackles. He's very good as a run blocker for a rookie. He looks quite good in the run game. He has been mm, pretty limited in the pass game. And then Daniels has been uh, sort of quietly best, but still not great. I'd say the reason Daniels looks so good is because He's next to Mustafer and Borum <laughs> and Whitehair's at the other guard spot. And Whitehair's been having a and just an abysmal season. Yeah, so Daniels by default looks like the best player, but if you look at him versus other really good guards in the league, he's not performing like that. So a lot of uncertainty on the Bears line. As the line goes, so goes this team's offensive success generally. Look, Fields and the special teams units kept them in the last game. I would say maybe longer than you would have expected, which was fun. It was great, but it eventually ended up the way that most of us thought it might go. Um, they're probably not going to have lightning strike twice, right? They're probably not going to get as much support from special teams as they did versus Green Bay. That means they're going to have to be less bad <laughs> in their base units. And again, the Vikings match up really, I would say if you're a Vikings fan, very favorably with the bears, they have a, they can have an explosive passing attack. The Bears secondary has showed very little to be able to slow that down. And if you get Dalvin running, forget it. Like the Bears are not capable of stopping him with their current personnel as many times as the Vikings might run him. He's going to break some. Well, the bad news is this game's on Monday night, which means you got to wait all weekend and then you got to watch it on primetime. And the good news is this is the last time. And then the Bears are going to get buried in the schedule for the last three weeks, and we can get out of this season. But let's uh, let's stop talking about this game. Let's you know we talked about GMs. We're talking about the future. We've kind of you know changed the approach of where where, we're, where our focus is on Bears over beers here for the last few shows of the the season. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited about where this team could be going, where this front office shakeup could lead, and that that stuff's exciting. We talk a lot about team building. We talk a lot about that type of stuff on this show and that's this is why like you know if you listen to this show throughout the summer you probably weren't very surprised at what was lacking on the field during the year we talked about the offensive line issues we talked about the secondary issues we talked some heat from people that when we called out the secondary as being being a primary issue but 
that's why we talk about this stuff. And team building is important. And we're really excited to see if we can maybe get somebody in the building who's a little bit more open to modern ideas and um, how they use capital and how they use those things. So hopefully that was helpful. I think Brad is an incredible resource. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. We really appreciate him coming on. I want to check back on the beers uh, before we get out of here. I want to hear about your peanut butter cookie and how that went. Dude, it's ridiculous. Uh, a lot of times when something says like it's peanut butter cookie or you, you, right. you know, chocolate fudge or whatever, you're like, maybe you get a note of that or whatever. This literally off the top tastes like a peanut butter cookie. Like it tastes like somebody melted a peanut butter cookie. And then you get kind of the it's almost like a pale or golden nail kind of finish behind that. It's not at all bitey. Um you do get a beer taste after that. And the more you drink it, the more that builds up on the back of your tongue and the more beer taste you get, but it's really pronounced. It's almost a little, I don't know. It's almost a little off putting how much it really tastes like a <laughs> peanut butter cookie, because you know, there's not melted peanut butter cookie in here. So they found the flavor profile of what your tongue tastes when you get a peanut butter cookie and it's in here and the blonde ale on the back end just kind of washes it down. It literally tastes like you took a bite of cookie and washed it down with a gold nail. And I can't find anything wrong with that. So great offering from Narrows Brewing uh, Local. How'd you do with your very stout pint? Um, yeah, so this is the uh, Barrel Age Series uh, Chocolate Malty Balls. Um, check it out uh, from Tighthead Brewing Company. Um, I think it's delicious. It's a Russian Imperial. It's, uh, I mean, which means that it, you know, everybody wants to give me crap about the IBU thing. But, you know, when it's balanced, when it's got a lot of malt, I'm okay with the bitterness. It's 85 bitterness units. So this is, you know, high bitterness unit. But that's what happens in Russian some uh, Imperials. And sometimes those are a little bit too much. But barrel aging mellows it out. It was very drinkable. I'm almost done with this pint um, here. And and 11%, it's really good. Um, I I really enjoyed it throughout. I think it's a really good beer. Um, I don't remember what I paid for it. Um, I don't think it was too expensive. But really good stuff. I mean, I'm I'm really impressed. I'm I've had my fair share of Russian Imperials that are bourbon barrel aged, and and this is one of the better ones. So, kudos to Tighthead Brewing Company. Yeah, it's nice when they're balanced, like you said, because that high alcohol content can really just kind of overwhelm and just give you almost like a straight alcohol shot on the back when it's not mixed in with a malt or something chocolate, something sweet. Um, and it's great when that kind of is couched like that you want to drink to the bottom of it and not be like well gotta stomach the last little bit of this because it's 11 percent, and i can really taste that on the back third when there's some kind of flavor profile that makes that sort of prolonged and easier to take it's really cool so i'm glad they glad they matched it up yeah so uh in terms of what's going on you know we're still doing you know stuff on the website make sure you're checking that out but we're also shifting to postseason stuff you know to off-season stuff we're we're starting to look forward to what this Bears team is going to look like. So Josh Sunderbrutch, Josh Sunderbrutch is putting out some cool stuff uh, where we all participated in uh, sort of the Magnificent Seven, I think he's calling it, for the, the building blocks moving forward. I'm starting to think about offseason ideas. I'm starting to get excited about that. You know, we'll, we'll finish out the the season with, with the normal schedule, but I'm, I'm 
pretty excited about getting into the off season and starting some different projects. And um, that's always kind of a fun time of year to think about, well, what can I accomplish over the seven months of not covering uh, weekly bear stuff where that's all I can, all I can make sure that I finish up. So what about you? What's going on with you right now? Uh, No rest for the wicked. Um, No break. Uh, Need to pivot to kind of double duty here and really start scouting the, the, two big college all-star games that I'll be going to the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl are basically overlapping Shrine Bowls over the first weekend, Senior Bowls over the middle of the next week. So um, basically I have to be ready for both by the time you leave for either. Um, Las Vegas is the Shrine Bowl. That's a new venue for them. They'll be at Allegiant Stadium right before the Pro Bowl. They'll have some interaction with the Pro Bowl. That's kind of exciting. A lot of cool stuff that Eric Galco, the director, is doing down there. Then Senior Bowl in Mobile, Jim Nagy and his staff do a bang-up job. Uh, probably 75 of the top 100 players, 80 of the top 100 players are going to be there. So uh, it'll be a really interesting stretch of 10 days. I'm already starting to feel a little bit itchy about that. I've been working on my list all year, but now it's really sit down and get film time going. And that's tough with the end of the season. Uh, still doing weekly summaries of Bears Over Beers, still doing weekly summaries on bootleg. So uh, right now it's just all about time management. Um, there'll be a little bit of a break after those all-star games, like second week of February. And then it is absolutely pedal to the metal all the way through the draft. So awesome, man. Well, we pre appreciate all the work that you're going to put in all that time in the film room. We appreciate that in advance and, and love that you're going to be providing us with excellent content and trying to find gems of, uh, you know, guards and, and corners late in the draft. Cause you know, we, we know that the bears are going to need them. So, um, that's it for us. Uh, thanks for joining us again this week. We really appreciate you joining in. Make sure you check us out on YouTube, check us out on Patreon. If you want to buy us a drink, all that good stuff. We really appreciate all of that. And until next week, bear down.